Welcome to the 12th episode of the Film Illiterates Podcast, your home for uninformed, unfiltered, ill-advised movie talk. I'm your host, Joe Campbell, and joining me today are Alex Patton. Hey, how's it going, everyone? And Nate Stone. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Are you guys happy that I remembered to uh, include both of your last names this time? Yeah, you actually put me first. I've, I've always been last, Well, too. you're the kind of the star of the evening this, this time. Is, uh, oh. This is, this is your episode, Alex. True. Exactly. That is, that is correct. So a few episodes ago, we did something called Movie Homework, where one of us would pick a movie and we all have to watch and discuss it on the show. Uh, well, that's we're not doing that anymore. I mean, we're doing that, but we've renamed it. It's now called Pick a Flick. And just every few episodes, one of us is going to pick a new movie that we're all going to have to uh, review on the show. So I think it'll be fun. And uh, this this week, it is Alex's turn to pick a flick. <laughs> so Alex, I have a question for you. Yeah. Uh, do you dream of sushi? You know what? Sometimes I do. You do? Yeah. That's interesting because that relates to the... Uh movie we're reviewing today it also relates to what we're eating right now yes we actually have sushi as well <laughs> damn it i do not have sushi unfortunately today yeah ah, we didn't give the memo up. to joe we wanted him to be left out yeah so um for for my movie for our pick a flick um i decided to have us uh watch and review jiro dreams of sushi it's a documentary on jiro ono who's a master sushi chef in in japan and it the documentary goes over his life and his craft that he's he's worked his entire life to perfect and master and so that's going to be what we're uh, talking about today so uh yeah we'll be reviewing that in the second half of the show as our main attraction but as always we're going to open this episode with what we've watched recently uh alex why don't you go ahead and go first since this is this is uh your your episode Okay. Um, haven't been watching a whole lot other than Jero. Um, I've actually been just really diving into playing Apex Legends. It's the I think I believe I talked about it last episode, but uh, it's just the new battle royale from Respawn, the guys who did Titanfall. Um, it's been just just a hell of a lot of fun, honestly. It's it's a really really well fine tuned game. Um, the base mechanics are really fantastic, kind of taking them off of Titanfall too. So. You already had that starting off with a really um, great foundation. Um, the fact that they have different like classes of heroes or like legends characters, you know, adds a really cool di- uh, dynamic to the game because instead of just straight firefights, you got to watch out for different abilities and whatnot that each character will have. So every fight um, is going to be a little bit different depending on what's uh, kind of like comp- team composition. Uh, every you know each squad that you run into has. So that that's been a lot of fun. Almost level 100. I got to level 80 this morning. So almost there, man. Got to get to the max level. Yeah, as uh, as, as people say, you know, um, there are some players who are dedicated to their craft as well. I think Alex is <laughs> up to that name. <laughs> not not so much for Apex. <laughs> Maybe for like Destiny or something like Destiny. that. Destiny, which was the other but, game that you've been playing recently, right? Or doing patch notes on? Yeah, I've been kind of starting to go through patch notes because they have their new um season coming out in a couple weeks or so so it's kind of just going over what new stuff is going to be happening how thing how current things are going to be changing um not only in regards to what new content's going to be coming out but kind of a lot of just like balancing patches um you know what weapons are going to be now going to be part of the meta and 
what stuff's not going to be really as viable anymore for different activities like raids and strikes and cruisable specifically and whatnot. So just kind of going over what's going to be the best options to run for that and seeing what we what we've got looking to look forward to in this next season. As always on the video game scene, I am 10 steps behind everyone else. Most <laughs> video games and stuff I've been playing is just uh, PUBG Mobile and Brawl Stars on my phone. <laughs> hey, I mean, you know, PUBG is not bad. Yeah. Try it on uh, PC, but, yeah. you know. You know, the most advanced gaming uh, uh, platform I have is uh, my SNES. Still. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Still, still working, still working. Well, I, I think, haven't played it in a while, but I only have like two games for it. I think your phone's probably passed that up, though. Honestly. Yeah, at this point, it sounds like it. <laughs> I don't know. You haven't seen my phone. <laughs> <laughs> is that it? So is that, is that all you got for us this week, Alex? Uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I've been up to, bro. Alrighty. Uh, I'll go next this time. So I I watched the Oscars. I know we, we did our anti-Oscars episode, but I, mm-hmm. I, I watched them. They happened. It was a thing. But I, I had seen, before the Oscars came out, I, I saw the Best Picture winner, Green Book. So I lucked out. I, I, I didn't have to do any catching up after the Oscars. And uh, I think Green Book's fine. It's, I don't know. But, but, but people are getting upset about it. And there's a lot of controversy about... Is I mean, it really a good movie or, or not? And I, I watched it. And it's like, uh, it's fine. I, I enjoyed it. I, I had a good time with it. It's forgettable. It, it reminds me of a lot of those movies that are kind of like lightweight mm-hmm. movies on on racism, where it's like, oh, okay, yeah, clap, clap. I guess kind of like, uh, I see these movies. I'm like, they're fine. I don't really think they do much to further the debate. I don't mm-hmm. think they they do a, a lot of harm either. They're just kind of like cutesy little movies mm-hmm. biopics that come out um yeah i mean i, I liked think... i liked mahershala ali i liked viggo mortensen i like when viggo mortensen folded an entire pizza in half and ate it like a sandwich <laughs> sacrilege man sacrilege. <clears throat> are you talking about that's the best way to eat a pizza I, a whole pizza in half though dude have you ever tried it not a whole pizza but an like entire pizza <laughs> We're talking about like a giant pizza too i mean yeah. it's the ultimate symbol of hunger at that point if you can eat it whole at one Jeez. bite but um, Joe, to kind of comment a little bit on that, because I had seen Green Book as well, and I'm I'm kind of along there with you in the same opinion, and I can see why the Oscars went with this movie, you know, as opposed to the other ones, is, you know, it was the less polarizing film of them all, and it kind of felt like, you know, for everything that was going on, it was the safe bet, um, as opposed to like, you know, the other options that were available. But, you know, in my opinion, I thought Vuk Mortensen and Marshall Ali were great in it as far as acting. So. Yeah, it's it's it, it, it was absolutely the the safe bet, which I know is disappointing. Yeah. I know it, it it wasn't the best movie of the year, but right. since since when like how often does the best movie of the year actually win best picture? True, true, that is absolutely true. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, I know I'm in the minority of of I I didn't really care for Black Klansman either. I I kind of feel as as far as how much I enjoyed the movies for completely different reasons. I put kind of Green Book and Black Klansman at the same level although i do agree that what i liked about black klansman i think worked a lot better but there are some other things i disliked about, about black klansman and it's just i, I don't know none yeah. of the movies that i love this year got mm-hmm. nominated really so it's yeah i, I have no, no no skin in the game mm-hmm. but uh yeah green book's fine whatever and uh, another thing i watched was so i'm working through 1986 in movies this year and i watched down and out in beverly hills have you, either of you guys heard of or seen this movie? No. Um, can you remind me again who's in it? Because 
I'm, uh, the only thing that's coming to my head when I hear Beverly Hills is Beverly Hills Cops. Nick Nolte and Richard Dreyfus. Okay, well, I was close. Nick Nolte was in 48 Hours, which had Eddie Murphy. So, oh, wow. Good connection there. Yeah, so somehow I tied that in. <laughs> so down and out in Beverly Hills, it's a comedy? Yeah, it's a comedy. It's like a comedy drama mm -hmm. from the... Uh, oh, uh, Betty Midler is also in it. Hmm. Who she was in Ruthless People, which I watched re recently. So she's a great actress, by the way. I, I hadn't really noticed her in very much because because she I, I I hadn't really seen very many movies that she she'd been in. But uh, seeing her in Ruthless People recently, and now Down and Out in Beverly Hills makes me think like I I kind of want to seek out more of her movies now because she's a talented comedic actress. I'd mm -hmm. say give a uh, Hocus Pocus a try then. If you're into that. Oh, thanks for reminding me about Hocus Pocus. Never mind. <laughs> but Down and Out in Beverly Hills is about Nick Nolte is a homeless man living in Beverly Hills. And Richard Dreyfus plays this rich Beverly Hills guy just kind of living his life. When Nick Nolte gets depressed and tries to drown himself in Richard Dreyfus's swimming pool. And Richard Dreyfus saves him and takes him into, into, into his house, cleans him up. And they, it's basically about their relationship between each other. How how Nick Nolte is has this 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 history of supposed he supposedly he came from wealth and he knew rich and famous people and just over the course of the years he's kind of fallen into poverty. And Richard Dreyfus, his marriage is struggling with his wife. He's cheating on her with the maid and his life he's not happy with the way his life is even though he he has all this this wealth and so it's about them kind of working together and helping each other become better people but um i'm not a fan of this movie really i no. i think i gave it kind of a middling review but I, I i think on retrospective i might i might, I might even rank it even lower <laughs> basically if you sleep with Nick Nolte, he makes your life better. <laughs> wait, wait. So wait. So Richard Dreyfus sleeps with Nick Nolte is what you're saying? No, but everyone else around. <laughs> See, that would that would have been daring for its time, man. And the, he sleeps with every, with every woman in the movie, and it's shown as like it's like oh, he's he's like the magical hobo that comes into your <laughs> life, sleeps with your wife, and all of a sudden everything's better. It's terrible. Oh my gosh, why does that remind wow. me of that one? Uh, gosh, what was it? A Dane Cook film? A oh, good luck, good luck charm. He's like a good luck charm for every woman he sleeps with. Like they get hitched after they do him, and he doesn't. <laughs> it's 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 pretty bad though. It's 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 it kind of tries to play it into you know he. He, he he knows what's best for you and he can talk to you and he says exactly what you need to hear but he's wrong like he's not a very good person but the movie wants to treat him like he is i'm kind of wondering how much clout or how much input uh, nick nolte had in this film <laughs> he probably had a lot of creative decisions going on i don't know i haven't, I haven't looked into the background of this movie so i don't know very much about it i just watched it because part of my 1986 marathon and i i didn't like it so all right Moving on. And then finally, the last thing I'm going to talk about is so I've, I've been showing my my three year old daughter a few of the uh, so, some movies that I grew up with as, as a kid. And so I, I showed her Babe recently. I've shown her Homeward Bound uh, a few weeks ago. But most recently, I showed her The Prince of Egypt. Wow. You guys, you guys remember this movie? Yeah, yeah. that that kind of seems a little early to be introducing her to that film. That's fine. She was fine. Actually, actually, you know what's interesting is that is that I remember being a kid. I was 
frightened of the scene where Moses has the dream of the hieroglyphs coming to life. Mm -hmm. uh, she was fine, totally unfazed throughout that scene. Mm -hmm. But she's able to follow kind of the basic idea of yeah. what's going on. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I have to admit, it is a gorgeous film. I think even when oh, it yeah. first came out, like people were just impressed with just the animation. Like this was a film that was kind of upping Disney as far as like quality. And like this mm -hmm. was the first time DreamWorks was like, oh, yeah, we have some chops we can show you, Disney. Yeah. Oh, it's a it's, it is a beautiful movie, guys. This oh yeah, this this movie should be in the conversation of greatest animated movies of all time. Mm -hmm. Like it's up there with the best of Disney stuff, and I, I'm mm -hmm. kind of sad that it's fallen into relative obscurity. Because if you ask anybody about what they think about the Prince of Egypt, nine times out of ten they'll tell you that they absolutely love it. But nobody talks about it today. It's not one that's like in a lot of conversation nowadays because this was coming out at the time, like, you know, 2D was like leaving the scene and 3D was coming on mm -hmm. as like, you know, this is the standard. Like this was the time when like, you know, Shrek as well as like, I remember, remember uh, that movie Ant Z when it came out uh, with like, <laughs> Ants. Like, oh my gosh. And, and I, Pixar as well. Oh yeah. And Pixar like uh -huh. was like a huge thing that was happening at this point. So it was kind of started to dominate it. So yeah, I can see why it's like not the big, you know, topic of conversation, because I don't know, I remember when I saw that film, Joe, just to kind of insert this is, I kind of thought this would have been like another renaissance for, you know, the 2D animation movement. And then sadly, after that, we only got like a couple more years before everyone went to CGI. Well, yeah, and DreamWorks went straight to Shrek after that. And, you know, mm -hmm. we know where they're where they went after after that. But it's, mm -hmm. I don't know, it's, it's, it's just it disappoints me that this movie doesn't get more recognition. Yeah, for its contributions to animated film history, because I think it's it's absolutely. I mean, I mean, not not just the animation, because it is a gorgeous movie, but the music mm -hmm. is phenomenal. Yeah, the mm -hmm. uh, stories up on par as far as like a good just adaptation of you know a biblical story. You know, well, that's the thing. Timur. That's the thing about yeah. the story is that, yeah. is that we've seen this story told many times on movies before yeah, and yeah, but not on the scale of showing the the Pharaoh and Moses as like two illegitimate brothers going through this struggle yeah their their relationship is what makes this movie because they make mm -hmm. ramses mm -hmm. into a very sympathetic character mm -hmm. uh not, not sympathetic enough that you're rooting for him but it, it, it humanizes him to the degree that you get where this guy's coming from and one of my favorite sing, scenes regarding him and something that i hadn't noticed before was when he makes a reference to something his father had told him earlier about how he doesn't want his son to be the weak link in the chain. And that kind of drives at what's motivating him mm -hmm. to, to not back down is that he does not want to be the weak link, weak link in the chain. He wants to live up to his father's ambitions. I love that shot where you see uh, his father's statue is in the background of a shot while he's standing next to it mm -hmm. and you kind of see their profiles together and it, it's, yeah. it's for him it's all about legacy and power and not being weak and mm -hmm. moses on the other hand has gone through a complete change uh, yeah, a bit, of, a huge of demeanor and, and faith and everything oh. and so they're coming at each other from clashing ideologies and it's fascinating yeah no i have to admit like the the team behind this they really knew exactly what they were doing with every single frame like in communicating that and that's something that it's like i i, I don't want to say like you know a lot of animated films aren't you know taking that kind of investment i mean disney is still doing it pixar is still doing it immensely well but it's like i remember quite a few films that were coming out being produced by Disney at the time, we're just not putting that level of detail and attention to it. Um, a couple of things that come to my mind were like, you know, Lilo and Stitch, uh, 
Treasure Planet, which, you know, were really interesting concept movies, but you look mm-hmm. at the visual aspect of it, it's like it's it's kind of hard to watch where you watch something like Prince of Egypt, it's like it's poetic. It's they're trying to make this transcend all like, you know, nations, all different like levels of just communication. And it's it's something like I think today, you're right, Joe. We're not talking about enough, but I feel like there is a a following that's growing. And who knows, maybe in 10 years, it might have we might witness a uh, a Blu-ray revival, maybe Crying Collection might admit it is one of the classics well, yeah well think... actually actually one of the one of the reasons that i i watched it recently is because it was released on blu-ray for the first time hmm, yes last last year late last year and i finally just picked it up because it's only like eight bucks at best buy and uh yeah everybody out there i say, I say just, just just go out get the blu-ray we need mm-hmm. this movie to come back into the public spotlight yeah, yeah. i agree yeah Anyway, that's what I watched uh, mm-hmm. this past week. So I guess my, my my top recommendation out of those three would be Prince of Egypt. Absolutely. Uh, Nate, what have you got for us? Okay. Well, one of the movies I actually watched this past week, which just came out, was the last installment of the How to Train Your Dragon um, series, The Hidden World. Oh, what what which, what 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 uh what number are they on now? Uh, this is number three as far as the movie series. However, oh, okay. there's the ne- Netflix series as well that they got going okay, on. Okay, that's what I'm thinking about. I thought they were on like number four or something like that, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, they've had like a couple like mini special like spinoffs, but uh, as far as like a feature release, like this was their third installment. Um, what can I say? Uh, it's just gorgeous. Going back to, you know, DreamWorks just knowing their audience with this, like they really make flight sequences epic and just mm-hmm. very engaging. Um and, you know, with this one, it's obviously, I, I'm, I'm assuming and I'm hoping this is the last feature film that they do and they don't do what Toy Story is doing now and bring <laughs> back a fourth movie. Yeah. Because I think this works as a trilogy. Yeah, but as far as a movie goes, um, it's it's kind of weird with this series because, uh, Joe, I think, you know, a while ago I saw how the second movie had some issues with it. But looking at this movie, I probably have to say I don't have as many issues now with the second movie as I kind of do with this one. And I think the reason why is, you know, the biggest problem I always kind of see um, with all these tra- How to Train Your Dragon films is they never have a villain who is up to par with, like, what the first movie and what made it so great was there really wasn't a, a villain, just um, misguided characters. You know, there was, you know, Hiccup's father who mm-hmm. represented the antagonist of this whole, that story. And really it was more about changing his perspective. Whereas in the other movies, it was just dead set on just having this, you know, very two-dimensional villain and they just want to kill dragons. Yeah, it's just, here's the good guy, here's the bad guy, yeah. fight. And unfortunately, in that kind of case, it's like, it, there's not really like any, a, a very thought-provoking story on what mm-hmm. it's trying to do. And I feel like that's been the problem with a lot of the How to Train Your Dragon movies and even like spinoffs from there is they never really were able to capture that kind of antagonism again. Um, now, for this movie, it's not bad. Like, there's some gorgeous sequences. Like, The Hidden World, it's just... I have to say, I, I didn't think anyone could top James Cameron's Avatar, mm-hmm. but this movie pulled it off. Um, wow. There's that sequence when they actually go into the hidden world, and it is just mind blowing. Like, I just remember like drooling because it was like it's so beautiful. <laughs> but the, the ending was actually, I'd say, it was satisfying. I kind of had a feeling they were going that direction, and I don't know. I think um, there's some parts of the ending that I liked. Won't spoil anything, but I think the overall, it's like I said, it's it's hard to top the first movie. It's hard to top, you know being introduced to Hiccup and Toothless and these characters for the first time. Yeah. And I think since then it's, it's just more of like, Oh, how many more dragons that we can show and trying to make it a family element. But yeah, I'd say, you know, for anyone who's has a chance to go see in theaters, go check it out. So fun fact, 
the mm-hmm. the first how to train your how to train your dragon was mine and Katie's first date movie. Oh, oh, really? that's right. Yeah, I keep forgetting that's the one that you keep saying. Like, oh yeah, first date movie. Yeah, and um, I haven't seen the third one. I've seen the second one. I remember when mm-hmm. that came out. I, I I I'll be honest. I don't really have a very close connection to these movies. I I, I think they're fine. I think they're beautiful, mm-hmm. well done movies, and I enjoyed them. Yeah. But they're not the sort of thing where I think on it and say, say like, oh, you know, I need to watch that right now or I need to exactly. watch the new yeah. one. I mean, for instance, the new one, I, I'm really unmotivated to go see the new one. And it's not because I think it looks bad. I think it looks fine. It's just mm-hmm. there are other things out there that excite me more in theaters now anyway. So I'll probably, you know, catch yeah. it on, on Netflix when when it comes well, out. But uh, this, Joe, is I think the the stuff in this movie um just knowing you is i think you'll actually enjoy it a lot more i think there's a lot more um very very tender moments between family that i think i I have a feeling that you might actually resonate a lot more with i felt myself was kind of resonating a lot with it so i think on that level they were able to bring their a game to the table but as far as like you know story and like you know a a good engaging villain they, they tried you know um f murphy abraham he did he does a good job but it's like it's not a memorable villain um and but i think like the stuff that you know you would like joe it'll stand out the most so I, i'd say maybe check it out in theaters while you can on a scale of the seventh continent at the bottom to train to basan at the top uh, we'll see how it hits me for uh, family feels <laughs> I think we should just always bring that scale or that radar back, like his Michael Haneke uh, radar level. <laughs> this, is, this is this is my this is my yeah 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 on a scale of, of the seventh continent to train to Basan. How did this uh, hit me in the feels regarding family? I feel like maybe Joe, you're kind of setting up for our Michael Haneke marathon for us to kind of have to watch. Oh, I would love. I would. I would be all in on that. Uh, train to Basan isn't a Michael Haneke movie. Seventh continent is though. Uh, yeah. Let's just say. Um, yeah, family. <laughs> family. <laughs> Everyone does families. The most, uh, the most Michael Haneke family movie. Uh, on a side note, on the other note, the other film I actually went and saw was the Lego Movie Two, the second part. Oh, I need to see this one. I actually do really okay. want to see it. Okay, and and this is one I'm gonna say I was not expecting them to amp up their A game and top the first movie, but this movie does. Um, everyone I know who has seen this movie says it is better than the first one, which I thought that's sacrilegious. I can't, yeah, the first one was so good, but this one goes even further and it is really? freaking amazing. The jokes are great, the jokes get a lot more meta. Joe, I think you would love this. I don't want to spoil it for you, but uh, let's just say there's a joke in it, a running gag that involves one of your favorite movies, and I think you would get the best laugh out of it. I know I did, and uh. It's just like there's like as everything that was great about the first movie, they amplify it 10 times. Like the end credit song is even better in this one. Um, I think they bring back the Lonely Island again who do oh it <laughs> and they go all out with it. Um, and even just like even though Will Ferrell's like he's not like in it, his voice is here and there. There's a funny little joke in there about him being off screen and how he still has a presence. And I think uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller like just put a little bit of jab in that and that i don't know i think it's kind of funny like you know everyone's gonna i I doubt people are gonna remember them for like you know being kicked off of the han solo movie project because i think since then they've they've done the spider-man into the spideyverse they've done this movie Mm -hmm. um and so they're just proving time and time again like hey they're good at what they do when they know what they're doing 
they do it well and they get the right people behind it. So I think this was a fun movie. Um, so I check it out and I recommend it. Here's a question regarding the, the, the Lego movies. Have you guys seen the Lego Ninjago movie or Lego Batman movie? I, I saw the Batman oh, one. Uh, the Batman one was hilarious only because like you keep forgetting, oh yeah, this is owned by Warner Brothers so they can go to town with these properties with Harry Potter, um, all their DC properties, and even just the Batman. Like there's a great joke in there. I remember falling over laughing with it. Um, but it's like, I didn't see the Ninjago one or the- Okay. The only reason I saw the Ninjago one was because uh, Jackie Chan is in it and I love <laughs> Jackie Chan so much. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like, uh, like, like kind of like how there's jokes in that referencing Jackie Chan movies for those who really are aware of it. There's a lot of that in this movie for people who are aware mm. of it. And so I think, Joe, you would actually get a blast of this. So just take Katiri and Katie. I think all of you would have. Awesome. Fun. I'll, have, I'll absolutely have to go see it. Uh, Katiri actually hasn't been to the, the movie theater yet. Uh, oh, so we'll have to see what her first, first movie is. To have too much context of the first one to get. Well, this. she's she's seen the first one. We have okay, it. Well, then, yeah. We have it here. So it's just been a while. Oh, yeah. Well, I'd say just just go ahead and take her. That'd be fun. Yeah. Awesome. Well, with that, let's go ahead and move into our main discussion, which is Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Jiro Dreams of Sushi is a documentary on 85-year-old sushi master Jiro Ono, his renowned Tokyo restaurant, and his relationship with his son and eventual heir, Yoshikazu. So, Alex, tell us, why did you, cho why did you, did you choose this movie? <laughs> well, I've, I've had it on my list of movies to watch for quite a while now. Um, like a while back, because I think I started getting like documentaries and whatnot, and I think that was around the time, or just shortly after um, that came out. So it was just like, I've had it on my list forever. I've wanted to watch it for a long time. I, I couldn't really think of anything else to really watch. So I was just like, let's just go with that. Just because I know that's going to be like, I've heard nothing but good things about it. So I'm like, ah, that's going to be a sure bet for like a good movie to watch. <clears throat> Plus I watched like a lot of like YouTube videos and like sushi and stuff like that. So I was like, hey, it's perfect. So Nate, had you seen or heard of this movie before? Uh, for someone had mentioned it to me a while ago. Um, no, and this was my first time actually ever hearing about this. Um, uh, yeah, so this was my first time seeing this. I, I hadn't seen this, but I had heard of it because of... Do you guys know about the TV show Documentary Now? Yes. Yeah. Right, where, with, um, with Fred Armisen and oh, yeah, Bill, Bill Hader. Hader. Yeah, where they basically parody all these famous documentaries that exist out there. And I guess this was one of them that they parodied. Oh, right? It is. They, 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 yeah. so, so, so they made an episode of Documentary Now. now documentary Now is each episode parodies a very specific documentary mm -hmm. and they made an episode called one loves chicken and rice that parodies jiro dreams of sushi now i had never seen jiro dreams of sushi but i've seen their parody one loves chicken and rice and it's one of my favorite episodes of documentary now in fact i've seen it multiple times <laughs> <laughs> so so joe was went in fully prepared in knowing what to expect with this one <laughs> i'm not gonna lie that might have colored the way i watch this movie because i watch this movie oh. and i just start laughing at scenes because i just remember like oh that's why they made fun <laughs> oh my gosh yeah. well, they, well for instance there, there there's a scene where he shows them going to the the, the fish market and the guy at the oh, fish yeah. market says that says that oh uh I, I only choose the best cuts of fish and sometimes they don't even have any cuts of fish that that 
that match what I'm looking for. So I just mm -hmm. come away with nothing sometimes at the, at the end of the day. I was thinking about it because in, in the documentary now episode, you know, this 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 little uh, Mexican farmer and he he he's goes out every morning to catch the chicken that he's going to cook for the day. He says, "Oh, I'm giving I'm giving what five minutes to catch the chicken. And if I can't catch it, then that chicken was meant to live, and I'm not going to cook it today." <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, that's great. Wow. Anyway, so that is my my only connection really to this movie. I'm glad that I was finally able to see it and appreciate that episode more now. I'm actually kind of glad that that was it because I had a feeling I, I was worried that we were gonna you were gonna hijack this uh, talk and talk more about the parody. Than this is this is now a documentary now review. <laughs> oh great! <laughs> exactly. So go, go see documentary now, people. Uh, all right. That so episode specifically, just that one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So Alex, uh, kick us off. Yeah. What 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 do you want to talk about with Jiro Dim's sushi? What 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 struck you about this movie? So one of the, I mean one of the things that I kind of wanted to. Um, go over with the documentary one thing that kind of really struck me throughout the whole thing is just is really specifically just the dedication of jiro mm -hmm. and specifically the the dedication to one thing his entire life like his entire life is just spent you know trying to master making sushi that that's that's it like he's done nothing else starting at like a i think it was like before he was even like a teenager he, he was like 14, working. I believe, is when he okay. kind of said, like, yeah, oh, yeah. you start exactly. going into that. I actually, Joe, when did they, because you just recently watched this, like, as of today, before we were recording. So do you remember what, how old he said he was? Oh, no, no, I don't remember. I do remember when he was really young, he was saying he, he, he had a tough time with his parents, but I don't remember at what mm -hmm. age he got into sushi making specifically. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was talking, yeah, same. But uh, he was talking about how he had to, at a, at a young age, go into trying to figure out we're trying to trying to make him a living honestly at such a young age and just that's what he that's what he picked that's just what he went with and so that's just what he stuck with well that's that's what interests me about this guy is that he found something that he enjoyed doing and just kind of stuck with it and mm -hmm. became a pro at it and it's not just his dedication to it, but his love of the dedication to it, how he loves yeah. to do the same things over and over again. He loves spending 40 minutes just massaging an octopus. Yeah. And he loves doing that every single day. He just he 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 loves the routine. And it's it's the sort of thing that I think would drive most people crazy. And most people would want to see something change in their job. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and he he loves the fact that it's it's the same every single time is the same hard monotonous work and he looks forward to it like he actively yeah. looks forward to it yeah i was going to mention the food critic that was in the film talking about him mentioned yeah even on even on his days off even on his holidays he's just looking forward to going back to work he doesn't like his he doesn't like holidays because he just wants to be at work crazy that it's this is all he's done and this is still all he wants to do but it's mm -hmm it's it's admirable as well in yeah. the same breath and, and not only that but there's people in his life who admire him for that um mm -hmm. i think in the movie it talks about this term um they call it a, a shokunin who is someone who repeats the same thing every day and is dedicated to it and you know they kind of say he is the personification of that word when it comes to sushi and you know one mm -hmm. thing i kind of took away from this and this was actually something i kind of didn't really consider this but there are people in life who actually represent the perfection of the art of something. And mm -hmm. usually whether they're deceased, like for example, like Da Vinci, when it comes to art, just the mechanics and math, um, you know, certain scientists like Albert Einstein, you know, people look to him as like, this is the perfection of science. Mm -hmm. It's very rare when you actually get to say, this man is the 
this man represents the art of sushi and him still being alive like this guy's 85 85 and he's still and breaking the, grounds with and, sushi and that was a, that was a, at, the, at the time of the shooting of the documentary i think he was i think he's 93 now 90 and he's still alive and kicking and yeah. <laughs> it, it's kind of like you know you guys have mentioned this like yeah this idea that pursuing excellence is a lifelong journey and one thing that i remember him saying is he's never done pushing the boundaries of sushi like there's you kind of think about it like how much further can you go with sushi and yet he's always saying like there's always more room to perfect grow evolve and that's something just i think is to admire is a true artist or a true representation of what the art of something should be is is never satisfied with just the way things are they always are trying to explore new things and i think that's one thing that this documentary did very well in capturing that yeah and the interesting thing too is he was talking about how he he doesn't he doesn't ex he doesn't he he does just just sushi that's it mm -hmm. and he doesn't do like really weird or new things with it no it's just doing just very like very simply sushi mm -hmm. but just just doing it as best as you possibly can yeah just perfecting mm -hmm. every single little thing about it and maybe doing doing it creating it in new ways but you're still ending up with like the same kind of end product that is yeah, and that kind of brings me into the 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 probably the most eye-catching thing about this movie for me was the first thing that I noticed was the way it was shot because this is a beautiful looking mm -hmm. movie. It oh, is. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it kind of feels like it was kind of shot like on a very low budget, like you know, still something that's like a really good high-end camera, but they didn't like you know go out with like lighting that they just used the natural lighting around it but yeah it's gorgeous holy yeah. shit guys guys what? all right just now on my phone i was looking up because i was curious about the director of this movie mm -hmm. oh <laughs> without looking it up can you guys guess one other movie that he's made since this since this was this came out oh what did he do you guys remember the lazarus effect <laughs> Yes, I do remember that because you had the freaking poster. Yep, the <laughs> Olivia Wilde, Mark Duplass movie. He yep. made that, guys. That's yeah, what he went I on to do. He actually held that poster in one of the films that we were doing way, way back when we were shooting film illiterates. What the heck? <laughs> oh, my I gosh. I, 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 I just want to know, how do you go from, from, from this movie to Lazarus Effect? Anyway, this is an absolutely beautiful movie. It's, it's, it's fascinating. Just I mean, he, he really makes use of the, the, the shallow depth of field. The most of the movie, almost the entire movie, takes place within pretty much one small location, mm -hmm. which is the restaurant. And it's a no. tiny little restaurant. Yeah, tiny. you would think that like with, with how famous he is and with like people coming from all over the world to come to his restaurant with like the Michelin stars that he has, mm -hmm. that it would be some like really huge, lavish restaurant. No. Yeah. It's in a subway. Yeah. It's just it, a little small place. And at the same time, you know, one thing I kind of took away from that is this idea of like, I think everyone has an idea of like what a sushi restaurant should look like, like a, a high class restaurant like that. At the same time, it's like if he's an artist making, you know, great stuff, he should work in a space that is just fitting for him. And sometimes mm -hmm. that could be like a, a sushi restaurant in a subway. 
And I like how it kind of showed that and that he loves that and he wouldn't want to trade that for anything bigger or better. Mm-hmm. But just but just looking at that space from, uh, I mean, I mean, thinking about it from a filmmaking perspective, yeah. how many ways can you shoot that location? How many different angles? You, 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 you got to feel so limited in there, but he finds ways to keep it interesting just visually. Yeah. I think yeah. one of the things I kind of took away from it's like it, it kind of also because it's such a limiting space, he's able they're able to capture like how these, you know, workers like how Jiro Sun, sorry, Jiro, Jiro, is that Jiro. how Jiro Sun has to kind of go outside to fan the Nori, you know, every single day um, and, yeah. and just like not do that in the restaurant. And it's like, yeah, they're limited with that space, but this is part of their routine. This is part of their their daily grind. I wonder if you went in there and like asked for like sushi to go, what he would say. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's actually a scene. There's yeah. a scene in there where actually someone just wanders in. He's like, "Hi, uh, can I get some sushi here?" And they say, "No, you have to book in almost like was it six months in advance?" Was, oh, that's right. That's right. Three months, yeah. Yeah, three like months because yeah. like, and that's actually something I want to point out. It's like when I heard that, it's like, "Whoa, it costs that much to eat sushi at this place?" Yeah, and he was like, "He's like, he's like, do you guys do like like any sort of like appetizers or any other food?" He's like, "No, just sushi." Yeah, no, just sushi. But and this was actually something very interesting. I wasn't expecting the documentary to go in this direction. Sorry, I'm hijacking this, but I want to point this out is it gave this reality of what sushi really should be. I think a lot of people who, you know, have this luxury of living, you know, think, oh, I can have sushi every day. But something that Jiro and his son actually really point out is sushi is is a delicacy. It's a rarity. And to way to actually get the perfection of the food is when you don't do it every single day, but you get the best quality of fish, you get the best quality of the rice, you get the best quality of the nori. Mm-hmm. And it, it gave this idea of like, sushi is only really appreciated when it's not as accessible as it is today for a lot of people. And so that was an interesting theme that it was kind of addressing. I was like, oh, I never thought of it that way. <laughs> Uh, Alex, do you want to talk about the music? Yeah, um, I really, the music was kind of struck me as well. Um, Mostly because, I mean, I I obviously just liked it a lot, but they used a song I really like by the composer Max Richter. Uh, On the Nature of Daylight? Yes, I love it. Yeah, it's such a good song. I've listened to it so much. I was Mm -hmm. super surprised to find it in the film. Um, But the music is so, so nice. And it's it's interesting, too, that there isn't a score that's composed for it. It's just using pre-existing uh works um some by max richter there's a lot of uh philip class in yeah there. a lot of uh, postmodern, like you know com- like contemporary stuff exactly yeah a lot of my, yeah it just worked really well and i like that they didn't go with a score mm-hmm. they with their own like original score for it because depending depending on how much the budget would it might turn out really well it, but it could always end up with something that's just kind of mediocre mm-hmm. so i think they i think it was a it was wasn't a bad idea going for um already like established composers and established works to 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 highlight the different points in the movie Mm -hmm. while it was all kind of mostly similar genres um there was different little turns and influences here and there that it that it showed during uh different scenes and whatnot but um just the nice just like going back to talking about the cinematography and coupling that with the music just the amazing beautiful shots Mm -hmm. of just like 
like just going over like a, just the single sushi piece as Jiro mm-hmm. puts it down on the plate and just completely that with the music. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, so nice. Yeah, and, and that kind of captures the art of this kind of perfection. Mm-hmm. And I actually, before this movie, I didn't realize that you had to actually have sushi right as it's served. I think everyone, you know, makes this joke like, oh, day old sushi. And, yeah. you know, don't want to get sick of that. But really, surprisingly, you're supposed to enjoy sushi as soon as it's served. Like any second or any other minute, longer it waits, it's going to destroy that flavor. Um, and, and what I mean by flavor is like, I guess there's this um, sensation that's created by a combination of flavors. They talk about this in the film. Um, mm-hmm. Umami is what they call it. Umami. Umami, yeah. And it's basically that right combination of the right kind of fish with the rice and how it's prepared, how it's mm-hmm. served that you're really trying to strive for sushi. And so you're right. It's kind of like treating every little movement, every little you know frame as like a piece of art. You're right. The music and the cinematography kind of coupled really well with that. Yeah, I don't know if it's uh, a, a positive or detriment to the movie that I didn't really notice the soundtrack all that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, All I remember about it is that it paired with the visuals very well. Mm-hmm. The music felt like it was in service of the visuals, which, I mean, it isn't yeah. necessarily a bad thing. It's kind of like, you know, oh, yeah. you know, what one of the best ways to tell good editing is when you don't notice the editing or when mm-hmm. you don't notice the sound mixing. You know, yeah. in, in the same way, in some movies, you could say if you don't, notice the soundtrack that could be a good thing because it means it's not standing out in a negative way <laughs> exactly yeah yeah I'd, I'd, I'd argue that that's a good thing honestly that if you don't notice the score i, I mean i kind of I, I look for it specifically and especially with recognizing one of the pieces that was used it made me pay attention to it a lot more mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily what you'd expect i mean the, the entire film is very very japanese i mean there's no as far as I can remember, there's like no English that's spoken in the entire film at all. It's all subtitled. It's all entirely in Japan. So you'd expect it maybe a little bit more kind of traditional Japanese, mm-hmm. you know, music. But yeah, they just went straight for kind of a more Western, modern classical. It worked. Yeah. I mean, it's like don't destroy something if it, it's working. It's like, yeah. just go with it. Sometimes there's happy little accidents, as Bob Ross says, you know. <laughs> We're just going to put happy little trees, happy little Philip Glass everywhere. <laughs> Hey, Nate, one mm-hmm. guess. When mm-hmm. I think Philip Glass movie soundtrack, what is the first movie I think of? Oh, I forget the name of that documentary, but it's the one that is nothing but stock footage. Yep, yep. Koyanis Katsi. <laughs> yep. Okay. I, I, that name keeps always slipping my mind. Wait. Away. Oh, wait. I think. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's one that basically. It's the world stock book. footage, the movie. It's stock footage movie. It's like. Yeah, but the music, though. Yeah. The music's it's great. Shutterstock the movie. Yeah. It's Shutterstock the movie when you think about it. <laughs> Uh, the last thing I want to touch on here, mm-hmm. and I, I'll probably have a lot more to say about this, actually, mm-hmm. is about the relationship between Jiro and his sons and yeah. about legacy yeah. and passing on his knowledge of, of sushi making. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, in, in the movie, it's hinted at there's uh, not really tension, but I don't, I don't know, a little bit of, of, of tension between the the sons and the father and what what one of the sons i think goes on to start his own restaurant separate from the family yeah yeah and it it, i i was a lot more interested honestly in the first half of the movie than the second half because the first half dealt with the the father and the sons and Mm -hmm. what they were doing and about how one of them had to stay with the father to 
mm-hmm. continue the, the the restaurant after the father dies inevitably mm-hmm. and the other son went off and did his own thing with his own restaurant yeah but it, that, that that's all tidied up fairly early on of just kind of like they're like yeah we kind of went and did our own things and then the movie moved on but in the documentary now episode they really play up the drama uh, because they do a similar thing where one of the sons goes off and starts his own restaurant and the father disowns the son and it becomes this whole big comedic thing. Right. Uh, yeah. which, which is obviously played up for dramatic comedy. But I, I, I will say, even though it was a parody, I was more invested in, quote unquote, the characters of that show than the, quote unquote, characters of this documentary. Now, I don't mean to say that they should have oh played up drama to make it more interesting mm-hmm. but but i think i think it's telling that that i was interested in seeing about hearing more about the relationship between the the men in this family and i and i actually wanted to know more about mm-hmm. how they differed because we hear a lot about how they're the same and how they try to follow in jiro's footsteps yeah but i was interested in hearing more about that going deeper and i felt like the second half of the movie suffered a little bit for myself because it just kind of sidelined all that and just focused on jiro as a craftsman which is fascinating but it can't hold up the length of a feature movie i almost Mm -hmm. felt like the uh uh, the second half of the movie worked better as a short film and i was more interested in the first half as a feature length movie yeah and i want to actually kind of uh continue on that conversation because you do mention this um there is there is a little bit of tension between Duro and his son in this, mm-hmm. especially the one who's still there, because they're they're basically throughout the whole film they're foreshadowing that you know Duro's not going to live much longer. You know, soon his son's going to have to take over this business, and when you already have someone who is the perfection of the art, where do you go from there? How do you continue pursuing that? And I yeah. think there's this. Remember, like they were talking about the son. Like I think the son's just dealing with a lot of pressure of is he going to be able to continue sushi the way his father did where they're yeah. pushing it, the boundaries more than he can, or is it going to kind of stagnate after that? And that's, I think one of the biggest worries. And I sense that between their dynamic, you know, there's this thing where Juro is like expecting his son to do almost to imitate him in a way. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like, at that point, it's like, well, are you trying to be your own sushi chef or are you just trying to be like me? And it's very interesting how they're kind of portraying that, but not so much like Joe, as you mentioned, not amping up on the drama, but it's communicated and you kind of feel it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's very, can be very tangibly felt. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was, it was also mentioned for Shiro's eldest son to, to really be able to live up to his father's legacy. He can't, he can't just meet his, he can't just get to the same level where he was. Mm-hmm. Because if 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 all he does is just continue with with what Jiro had, what Jiro has already done, just continuing the same, and just keeping that same level of you know perfectionism, he's his own legacy is not going to hold up. It's not, he's not going to be able to live up. He he would he would need to far surpass his mm-hmm. his father in order to really be able to hold his own legacy. Yeah, and and there's almost like this fear of kind of like can he or does he want to yeah. yeah yeah it's yeah the that was a that was a really interesting kind of dynamic that i was not expecting at all mm-hmm. in in the in the film that i that was yeah that was kind of the, one of the main points of interest for me honestly mm-hmm. is just whether or not he's 
he's going to be able to continue this. If anything, the only thing I was ex- hoping that the son would do is just do something that makes him happy with the craft. Because here's the thing, happiness yeah. is going to come to people in different ways. And if you're living up to someone else's happiness and not your own dream, then what's, what's the point of living? And I think, if anything, Jaro, he's living his dream. He's living in his happiness of doing what he's doing. But sometimes it's like, is that expected then of everyone else to follow? It's, it's an interesting conversation because it's like, if you want to pursue that kind of level of excellence, you have to kind of follow in his footsteps. But yeah. at some point, you do have to kind of branch off and do your own thing. And it's, it's the question that I think we're always asking ourselves is, when mm-hmm. do we stop following the, the master and become our own master? And I, I, I think that for me is one of the shortcomings of this movie mm-hmm. because I'm fascinated by all that, but I feel like the movie didn't really dive into that. I, I, I wanted to know more about the son who was going to run the, the restaurant after Jiro dies. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know more about his thought process behind this. We know that he's trying to follow in his father's footsteps and he's accepted his role as the mm-hmm. son who must continue this. But I want to know, like, is this what he really wants to? How did he get into this? Is 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 what what is what is his thought process behind uh, evolving? Is mm-hmm. is he going to continue doing doing the restaurant exactly as his father did it? And I feel like the movie didn't really dive into that because as soon as we were getting to a point where we would follow that, yeah, all of a sudden we start focusing more on Jiro in the second half, which makes sense if you're making Jiro the main yeah. character of, of the movie. He is the focus of the movie, and he is the craftsman that mm-hmm. is really quite astounding, and I was interested in everything about him. But when you focus so much on the relationships in the first half, and then the second half you focus only on Jiro, mm-hmm. I'm still invested in finding out more about the son's relationships to the father. Mm-hmm. But all we're focusing now on is, oh, look how good Jiro is at making sushi. Look how wonderful and delicious this sushi make, yeah. uh, sushi is. Look at how he makes this sushi. Here's lots right. of slow-mo shots of the sushi. Well, I mean, it could it, it is it's kind of setting it up. It's you know, it's setting it up in that here's, you know, t- talking about the dynamic between between Jiro and his eldest son and how he's going as the son's gonna have to take over the sushi business and have to kind of live up to what Jiro has done. And then we get to see everything that Jiro does yeah. and how well he does it and why he's considered such a master at at what he does. You know, I'm always kind of wondering if there's any behind-the-scenes footage of this documentary of stuff that they could not include in this documentary. Maybe because maybe they did ask those questions of, hey, what was it like working for Jiro? Was he ever hard on you guys? And they kind of shy away from that, but I'm actually wondering if, there's actually any footage, interview footage, or actually B-roll where we actually kind of see. I want. I don't want to say like the the pleasant side of uh, Jero, but you know when he's actually having to bring down the rod of, you know, disciplining his son or you know the other chefs. Like we only get like a small glimpse of it. But mm-hmm. you're right. I'm wondering if they, them kind of like compensating that to show you know how great Jero is is like we're more forgiving than of you know if he had to be hard on his sons or something like that because they kept talking about it, but we never really kind of saw it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they did ask the question, you know, how was it? I think, and maybe, and maybe that's stuff that they just said uh, omit this from the documentary. We don't want to show this. Well, no, they they did ask the question, and it was oh, on yeah. it wasn't the oh, documentary yeah. talking about. I think I think it was talking to both of his sons mm-hmm. how it was, you know, growing up with Jiro as their dad mm-hmm. and kind of learning the craft of sushi. And I think, yeah, pretty much as far as I can remember, they both said it. You know, it was. Yeah, it was definitely hard. Jiro's kind of a hard teacher mm-hmm. to work with, mm-hmm. um, but they learned how to do it right. Yeah, 
And I think if anything, so yeah, Joe, I'm, I'm not sure, like we would kind of like seen a lot more of that, uh, been a little bit more satisfying, I guess, for that second half. I, I, I don't think necessarily seeing more of that would have been satisfying. I, 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 I don't necessarily want more drama. I am here to see how Jiro do his thing. And I did want to see that. And I didn't necessarily want to spice things up with more drama, but I, I don't think just seeing Jiro does do his thing can hold the weight of a feature movie. And I think yeah. maybe even something as simple as uh, flopping the two halves of the movie, sh- opening with a first half of a movie of see- showing off Jiro the master, and then the second half going into his family and his past and showing us where he came from and yeah. showing us where he hopes this will go afterwards. <laughs> I think putting all that in the second half probably would have strengthened the movie. But what do I know? I wasn't in the editing room for that. For as, as, as far as I know, they may have tried doing that. It didn't work as well. Yeah. I, mean, I just don't think that the amount of material that they spend on Jiro making sushi, I don't think that holds the weight of the amount of time that it's given. I think that stuff would have been better fitted to a short film or at least restructured some way within the documentary. They they did come back around to more of the talking about the sun in the in the later half of the movie, kind of especially going towards um, when he's going out to like the market and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Did anyone find falling. that marketing scene kind of fascinating? Like, oh, you know, oh yeah, they're in the warehouse actually inspecting the tuna, and then they suddenly go into a, a bell chant, and I'm like, what is yeah. going on? But it's it was fascinating because it's like what you're witnessing here is not necessarily just like well, uh, yes, it, it is you know daily business. But they treat it as like a tradition, a routine, and mm-hmm. there's something sacred about that. Like they're not just getting tuna and just flopping it and then cutting it up, which is what they are doing. But there's this um, process, there's this you know, tr- you know, this way of life, and so I, I thought that was like something kind of interesting. And they didn't give a lot of explanation of why that. I guess it's just, that's just the way it's done. But I liked but, it that way. I liked oh, it. Yeah. yeah. You didn't have to get too much into it. It was just a nice little slice of life moment where you kind of saw the way it is over there. And it's it just gives you great perspective. Yeah. I want to go to that market so badly, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love how they use like the fisheye lens for that mm-hmm. for that part. Or some of the parts <laughs> it's so cool. I, it, it, been... look, it looked amazing. And yeah, you yeah. Know, pun intended, I guess. But... Honestly, Joe, I think maybe you would have wanted to go there just to put your hands in the, the, the squid um tank and just hold up a squid or something like that i just want to massage a squid for 40 minutes oh yes <laughs> that would just thrill you wouldn't it absolutely get you going there you go all right let's 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 uh close this review off with uh star ratings and final thoughts so alex out of five stars what would you rate this movie and what were your final thoughts i'd give it a four mm-hmm. um it's i really enjoyed it, it every Bit, every minute of it was interesting it, the documentary kind of flew by honestly so much about it was good the cinematography the music as we all as we talked about and gone, have gone over I, I i i actually did like what what they did show of kind of the relationship between uh juro and his sons um for me that actually worked out really well and i'm i you know, as as much as I would like to see even more 
just to get into more of the you know to get more of the documentary um i am i'm satisfied with what they did show mm-hmm. um i think it worked out well i think it it was it, it worked for what i wanted it to be and it was and, and it ended up being kind of more than more than i really expected so i i'd say absolutely i'd absolutely recommend this if you want it really well put together very beautifully shot very interesting documentary with that poses a lot of like really interesting questions to kind of about mm-hmm. um what you want to do with your life mm-hmm. this is a this is a really good one to go for so i would give the movie uh three stars out of five i i i, th- I think i think it's a very good documentary uh it doesn't jump into great for me maybe bordering on three and a half stars up there i i think it's shot very well i think the way they tell the story is fitting to the art that they're showing off i think the art of filmmaking shows off the art of sushi making extraordinary extraordinarily it, it made me hungry for sushi while watching it i was fascinated by the by jiro as as a as a character in the documentary actually it's interesting i i i want to see more documentaries showcasing craftsmen in very specific areas and showing them working at their peak potential because yeah. that's what kind of fascinated me about this 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 guy is that he's just kind of working out of this little restaurant i mean it's, a, it's an expensive restaurant but just kind of this little restaurant out of the way and you, you you would walk in and you wouldn't think it was some super fancy place you know yeah and he's just kind of there doing his thing and and i i I would love the, the the dedication of Jiro to his craft and just the the mindset that this guy has to get into to love his work, really love the repetition of his work. Uh, I do think that the second half doesn't doesn't hold my, my 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 interest as much. There was a certain point where I was like, "Yep, we're seeing him prepare sushi one more time. That looks still looks good. Let's mm-hmm. let's keep going." Um, and I think part of that may have been the location also because we talked earlier about how wonderfully a director david gelb shot this one tiny location that he must have been very limited in and he shoots the hell out of it yeah but there are only so many ways that you can shoot a location like that and after at a certain point i started thinking yeah i've seen this this counter probably about 500 times by now with you know (laughs) delicious sushi being put on it What, what, what else what else you got but uh overall i think it's a very good documentary absolutely worth checking out uh i kind of in between with both of you guys i'm going to get a 3.5 out of stars and i know my star system this time after (laughs) 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 stars like i did last time (laughs) i've learned that um but yeah i'd say i gave it a 3.5 just because i you guys are hitting out a lot of stuff i liked about it the way it was shot the way it was composed the way it's crafted joe i'm on the same boat as you are where i kind of felt the second half did drag out um and i think the biggest thing going in for anyone who's interested in seeing this is be very patient with this movie because there's not a lot of action there's not a lot of as joe mentions there's not a lot of drama that's happening you have to really immerse yourself with it and be patient with it and for i think a lot of people who may that may not be their cup of tea this would be very very hard to sit through i kind of was actually at some point thought to myself oh my gosh this is still kind of going on and i still had to remind myself really you know pay attention to what's going on because you're experiencing something at this um the one thing i wanted to actually talk about which i was not expecting about this movie is there it's kind of a it's it's asking there's a bit of a call to action at the end where it's really asking people you know the craft of sushi is great but don't 
have it so excessively as we do today. Like they're mentioning quality of fish is diminishing because mm-hmm. it, you know, yeah. the best fish are being, you know, hunted and poached all the time. And so it's almost kind of like being an environmental call to action. Like, you know, uh, don't eat so much sushi, but still eat sushi. And I was like, okay, that's, that's an interesting thing that you guys wedged in there. Let's get back to Jero. Yeah. I think it was, I, I, I yeah, that was, kind of came out of nowhere for me <laughs> well but i had a feeling like they were kind of going somewhere with that because mm-hmm. the way they were just setting up everything like you know you want the right flavors you want the right experience of it and let's yeah. face it fish farms are diminishing in quality as far as fish goes because mm-hmm. we're just eating too much of it yeah i thought it was kind of ironic and and uh it, interesting how it was an environmental call to action but it was motivated by purely corporate uh need Mm-hmm. As in, 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 in able to make better sushi, more better sushi, mm-hmm. we need to be environmentally friendly because otherwise we'll be harvesting them too quickly. So it's like, you know, yeah. the, 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 the environmental needs serve the corporate mm-hmm. needs, which I thought yeah. was just kind of interesting. Which I kind of felt like maybe that could have actually helped a little bit more if they added a bit more of that. Whereas like, it kind of like, well, we'll talk about this and now we're moving on. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like there, there's parts I think that is the reason why I give it a, a kind of an interesting rating, but I think it's an experience. I think going into it, just be prepared for what it's going to show you because your guys are right. It's like you are witnessing a man in his craft and every bit of detail is kind of being shown for a reason. Mm-hmm. That, that was that was all thrown in there to uh, placate the um, the people who had a hard time watching the 200 shots of fish being butchered graphically on screen <laughs> i can imagine the poor editors like who had to like go through all this footage and just be like yeah this is another fish it's another octopus another there's another one there's another, another one. fish being gutted while still alive get this <laughs> a pg point, like, rating yeah I, I think at that point it's like you know after seeing some of that, that so much you know just mutilation to the fish it's like if yeah, war movies don't bother me much as much <laughs> my, my my daughter was actually in the room while we we're watching this movie i was like yep there's another fish getting his head oh, cut off she just she <laughs> loves fish doesn't she she loves i don't know she's she, i don't know if she has really any strong feelings toward fish <laughs> well i mean certainly I not know. now all right so that'll, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the film illiterates podcast Okay. You guys can find me at filmliterates.com. I uh, also search on Twitter at the film at filmliterates. I manage that Twitter account. Uh, Nate, where can we find you? Well, as always, you can find me here at filmliterates doing these wonderful podcasts with Joe and Alex. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at Nathan Stone Films, uh, spaced out by underscores. And I don't want you guys to follow me on Facebook at all. <laughs> Please don't. Alex, uh, what's the Twitter account that you never use that we can follow you on? at alex d Patton, you can follow me there i uh I, i'm on twitter a lot but i don't tweet much oh so you're one of those those creepy types that just watches and other people's posts well i just i, I use it to keep up on like game updates and like esports updates yeah you know they they send updates and it's the fastest way to find yeah. everything out yeah just getting pinged all the time the no, yeah i've been thread. I find I've been on Twitter more than, than Facebook lately. Uh, it's more entertaining and informative. Um, also Letterbox as well, right? Oh, yes, that's right. You can find me at Letterbox if you search uh, film-illiterate. Um, I will try to make a goal, guys, to actually get on Letterbox again and actually <laughs> you know, write reviews because I'm slacking. Do it. Just I mean, log your, 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 oh, your no, movie no, watching. I'm very curious to see what your movie watching habits are. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, Download but, the Letterboxd app, guys. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> Product placement. Product placement is something we're not getting paid for. Not sponsored yet. <laughs> yet. <laughs> and that will be it for the Film Letters Podcast. So uh, keep watching movies and keep it easy.